0: Good day, diners and dinettes. Welcome to... Wait for it. I'm really gonna let this one sit and savor it because that's right. This is episode 20 of Hidden Apron Radio. Didn't think we'd make it this far? Well, neither did we. So to the hundreds of you who have been downloading our episodes, we know not who you are or where you're from or what you did as long as you love us. (laughs) Sorry. I had to do that bad joke it's fourth of july i should be outside but i am going to finish this episode because i'm really excited that we reached this milestone all i'm trying to say is thank you so much for tuning in and we hope that these episodes are at the very least educational and hopefully as inspirational to you as they were to us this week's episode highlights the many things that characterize hidden Apron. Tangents, twisting winding paths, serendipity and success, success in air quotes, and not entirely being sure where these delicious roads will lead us in our lives. Our guest today is Seth Cyberg, who was someone who caught a room full of listeners at a Food Tech Connect event here in NYC. Check them out, by the way, if you haven't been to one of their events, Uh, including my attention with his story of how he founded, ran with, and grew his company, Coco Berg. Cocoa Bird produces what they call the world's only raw, vegan, paleo, gluten-free, soy-free coconut jerky. Which, by the way, is sourced, handled, and produced in the Philippines. Filipinos, what up? It tastes great, if I say so myself. They go with the motto, just eat real food. So, okay, you might be thinking. Seth is probably some hipster warrior vegan who bikes everywhere and wears Vibram's hellbent on changing how people eat. Well, there is some truth to that. Seth does describe his diet as vegan-ish. He does bike competitively, and he does want to use Cocoa Berg to offer people healthier snacking options. But Seth also spent two decades in the world of tech doing everything from app slash database development, programming, consulting, and even teaching. He just describes himself as a complete dilettante, having done things like become a car mechanic. A woodworker's apprentice, even a CTO for an e-commerce platform for small farms, and with this current venture, an entrepreneur. A label he himself did not realize applied to him until a year into running a company. He literally just took an idea, ran with it, and woke up one morning realizing, wow, I have a small business in my hands. Now his product is in Whole Foods, it is retailing nationwide, and is creating lasting change for his partners in the Philippines. This one is definitely a longer episode that I did not want to cut in half because it flowed quite well. It is filled with a lot of unexpected turns that you might not find in other more traditional stories. We talk about a programmer's brain and a programmer's approach to recipe testing and building a business, to things that you might not put together, and how testing for failure actually led to massive success. The dilemma of educating consumers about a product they've never heard of. So think about Henry Ford when he said, if I asked customers what they wanted, they would have told me we'd like a faster horse. Uh, We also talk about product development and operations overseas, the challenges of operating in the Philippines, and why the right thing isn't always the easiest. Oftentimes, it's not the easiest, actually. Uh, How he uses business for good, and you might be thinking, just what the hell even is coconut jerky? Seth is just another example of how there are many, many, many roads to your destination and you don't have to fit the textbook formula for your given field. So play a little. Give this one a listen. Again, thank you for keeping us rolling on this unexpected ride of a podcast. And now, Seth Seiberg. Seth, welcome to Hidden Apron Radio. I'm excited that you're finally here after we met several months ago. Many months ago now. Many months ago. And you just told me it's national jerky
1: day today is national jerky when
0: day when did that when did that okay
1: I think... so i gotta be honest here i don't know anything about it <laughs> and just, and like, one of my, just look this up? my my social media um and marketing intern told yeah. it, told me about it last week and then we were like okay we're gonna we gotta get a com- campaign together yeah so we reached out to our friends over at louisville vegan jerky and <laughs> we're like guys we've never done any sort of collab we've never yeah. done any giveaways together you know why not let's let's band together or like two small startup vegan jerkies yeah let's do something and it they were like super into day. it it's like
0: a perfect it's the perfect timing for it yeah uh why don't we begin with your background actually because since we're here at my day job which is a tech company my first question would be i looked through your linkedin and and saw everything you're qualified for and i would have if i just stopped at the tech side i would have said this guy is going to be like well you were a CTO you're going to be CTO for the rest of your life right <laughs> everything from like app development database development product management you did all you even lectured what how did that go from there to making coconut jerky
1: it's well you know, you you're asking me this question at a very interesting time cuz i've started to think about this again quite a bit you know I'm, I'm 3 years into this business now and though i still love everything about it it it's you know it's hard not to think about the opportunity cost here right mm-hmm you know i was cto i was was moving my way up in a in a pretty lucrative career uh, and if i had continued in it over these last 3 years that you know i've made basically no money uh, yeah. things would be very different for me yeah, financially yeah, yeah, right yeah, yeah. now um, so so it is it's an interesting interesting question something i've been thinking about um, but you know i i spent you know i was doing it for I was i was a developer/cto/techie slash slash for like 15 years so right. i you know i definitely um, it's not like I didn't have a full career there because I feel like in a lot of ways I did and i sure I could have continued um, but I I found myself getting kind of sick of that world and I would go through these phases where I would work for like a year or two and then I'd get kind of fed up with that work and I I'd, I'd quit and I'd go travel around and I'd come back and then I'd get another job and it was just a cycle and um, I was I was at the end of one of these cycles I had been um, CTO with farmers web for about a year and a half I mean, I loved working there, um, but I, you know, I decided I was ready to do something else, and so I went and traveled in Asia for a few months. And while I was out there, I ate a lot of young coconuts, oh, okay. <laughs> so this is and there. and I I started talking to people. Uh, about this recipe, I, I, had, I had started making, you know, years and years before this, uh, like five or six years before this, because I, I, you know, I have a young coconut, and I'd be like talking to somebody, I'd be like, right. you know, what you can do with this meat, like, yeah. you know, you just people just throw out this meat in Asia, like, like they some people like spoon it and eat it right there, then and there, but a lot of people don't, a lot of people drink the water and then they chop, right? Because the they coconut. only cut the hole, in the yeah, top, they right? cut the little yeah, hole yeah. in the t- top, and and if you don't know that there's delicious coconut meat in there right. that you should eat or if you're not if you're thirsty you're not hungry like a lot of people just don't use it so I, it got me thinking about this recipe again it was like how can i how can i like use all of this coconut meat that's being thrown out in the world that's that was like that was kind of like my initial, the initial idea. i was question. like i was like was is, one is there being is there a lot being thrown out i know there's a lot being thrown out In this specific scenario, I don't know if you can do anything to recoup, like, street vendors who are selling their coconuts. Like, not much you can do there. Um, But it did start to get me thinking, you know, like, coconut water's everywhere. Mm -hmm. What's going on with coconut jerky? Why isn't anyone making coconut jerky? Um, And so I started, you know, i go from country to country, and I'd talk to a bunch of different people. And and I just kind of got it in my head. So when I got back to the U.S., I knew I didn't want to go right back to tech. I was like, I got to do something different. I got to try something else out. So uh, I was kind of bumming around New York. And one day went out to, um, dumplings with a friend of mine and him and I were, were kind of arguing about coconut jerky and I had like kind of okay. told him about it and he was like, yeah, yeah, I don't know if it would be a thing. I was like, what are you talking about, man? Get that stuff in the Whole Foods. It's going to be the next kill. And, and he was very skeptical. And so that night I went home and I bought a dehydrator online. <laughs> <laughs> impulse. <laughs> impulse buy a, 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 dehydrator from Costco yeah. and, uh, arrived the next week and I, kind of just started i don't know what took me but i was like all right i'm going to like start making some recipes i'm going to mm-hmm. see what what happens here and what i thought was going to be like a couple days of like playing around in the kitchen turned into like a month of like intensive recipe development and you know i had like by the end of it i had 60 recipes that i that
0: many variations
1: variations that i had had created dehydrated different different i would vary different components of the of the marinade I, w- I was trying really hard to keep it totally raw totally soy free totally gluten free right um and so that was really difficult so i would i would try things like i would soak uh mushrooms overnight and then i would i would try to puree them and then i would try to use that as that like umami flavor um in the uh in the marinades and man i tried a lot of stuff i tried a lot of stuff and i settled on uh on three flavors and Everything else was was not a disaster, but everything else paled in comparison to these three. Started uh, handing them out to friends and family, and people were like, "You you've got something here, man! You got." What happened
0: to your skeptical friend? Uh, Did you he him? him
1: and I were we we were like the kind of friends that we only see each other like once or twice a uh, month. So okay. he didn't really know I was doing this stuff. I think I had like yeah. kind of mentioned it. Yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. then I. I put the Kickstarter together and sent it to him, and he was like, this is awesome. <laughs> Let's see what happens, though, right? And it was only like a week later that we had hit our funding goal and, you know, ended with over 515 backers and uh, 130% of our goal. Um, and the funny thing is, my buddy Spencer, who, who this whole story is, is about... After he saw the success of that, he did his own Kickstarter. No way. Yeah, and now he's about to start his second Kickstarter because he had a hugely successful uh, project called The Public Radio, which is a really cool um, radio that gets one station that's in a little jar it's yeah. really awesome you should check it out anyways so it was funny cause like he inspired me by being kind of a naysayer to like yeah. start the the kickstarter in the first place and then I inspired him to start his own kickstarter <laughs> would, you, would
0: you describe yourself as the type of person if someone says like you can't
1: do this you'd be like mm, let me check that out definitely okay yeah yeah yeah, okay. yeah. to Sorry. me the, the challenge is like that that's gonna get me going okay good i, I like this because <laughs> your answer basically s- sets up the foundation for almost every single
0: question that i've listed here Nice. perfect so i'm gonna try not to get into my tension too early <laughs> on and and i wanted to back up and you mentioned you got sick of the work yeah well what did you get sick of was it the hours was uh, it just like the mental challenge like well, what about the the uh, the side hustle, you may say, at the time of of making this coconut jerky, appealed to you more than the tech side. I
1: think. I think in a lot of ways, I'm I'm just a true dilettante. Um, I uh, I've always wanted to try a thousand things and yeah. do a thousand things. I mean, th- the time before this, when I quit my my job, my tech job, like six years ago, I became a woodworker's apprentice for six months. Whoa, and whoa, and whoa. like that did not come up in the research, <laughs> <laughs> you know, or like um, two years ago, I took a little break from Cocoa Berg, yeah. and I yeah. I just put all my efforts into becoming a car mechanic, and I, I like took my engine apart and rebuilt it, and it took up a month and a half of my life, and it was yeah. super fun. And I just you know I just get I have very varied interests, and I think being in the in the tech world for too long started to to take its toll on me. That's part of it. The other part of it is is that. Uh, I really wanted to do something um, physical. I wanted to do something mm-hmm. that, like, I could ha- I could hold in my hands. And obviously, when you're working in tech, yeah. it's it's that su- it's super intangible, right? I mean, all those services, it's very conceptual. even it's very conceptual. It's cool, but I wanted to make something. I wanted to build something that I mm-hmm. could see that people would see, people would hold, that I would, you know, I could walk into a store and see it on shelf. Yeah, you know?
0: yeah, something tangible. So, would you say it's just it just was the fortuitous crossroads between eating young coconut. Your experiences at Farmers Web and wanting to do something physical—that gave Coco Berg? or was this like when you were a kid? You're like, man, I just no, I want to cook. No,
1: something. No. I mean, I've always been a, a a cook. I always, I you know, I cook most of my meals even today, um, and all my friends know that me as somebody who like cooks for everybody. So, so in that way, like making food and making recipes has always been like near and dear to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was never a moment, even a year after the company started, there was never a moment where I said I want to be a food entrepreneur. Wow! Even a year later. <laughs> Even a year later, I was not. It was like, it was kind of like I blinked my eyes and then I was like, oh my god, a year just went by. Was
0: it like? Was it? Did you think that you were still just dicking around? I was the just kitchen? dicking around. Yeah, I was and just dicking around. It and happened then to be a company already.
1: One, you know, one little step after another. Like yeah. every, it would be like, oh, I'm, I'm gonna like. Well, if I do a Kickstarter, well now I need to like, yeah. I have to actually fulfill these orders. So like, right. how do I do that? I'm like, okay, well, I'll try to, I'll like. Get a bigger dehydrator and, and do this in my house. And then, like, I go, like, I dig a little deeper. I'm like, well, you can't really do that legally. You kind of have to figure out, like, a commercial kitchen situation. Right. And so I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll figure out a commercial kitchen situation. So then I do that. I'm like, well, actually, you need your food handler's permit. Okay, so now I got to go take a you food were handler. By the seat. It was just, yeah. It, but every day, every time I solved a problem, I would uncover 15 new problems. And so I never took the time to sit down and say, wait a minute. You are well, you are going down a path that you like, you should probably like think more about whether or not you want to go down this path because you might in two years have a successful company that you're responsible for now. And, and that never, it never really crossed my mind. And it's funny because people did stop me and say, you know, you're building a company right now. Mm -hmm. You're on your way to building a company, yeah. and, and, and you didn't hear that. It's not gonna, it's in my head. I was still like, you know, I was just another one of those those guys who thought that I had the unicorn and that I was gonna build this thing from zero to 100 in 18, 18 months and then flip it for 10 million and be yeah. done with it. And you know, and that's that was like the best case scenario, or it would just flounder and, and I would be done. It never occurred to me that I was gonna go through the typical entrepreneur five to 10 year plan of like slow growth and like hard knocks and all that stuff. Did you actually think
0: of like sustainability? Yeah. Oh yeah. Just like the
1: normal path of a, of a small business owner. Was
0: there, um, because you, you also mentioned, I was reading one of your interviews, uh, with medium where you mentioned that there were experiences from the tech world that you were able to transfer over that were beneficial. Uh, what, were some of those experiences, and on the on the flip side, then, you know, what were some of the biggest things that you had to learn from scratch? I know you, you just mentioned having the the admin stuff, yeah. you know, the, the government paperwork that you have to do. But you know, are there one or two big things that you're like, I do not have this skill set?
1: Right, right. Well, so, so to answer the first question, I've I've got programmer brain. Big time mm-hmm. uh, you know I, I, I went to school for it and I've been you know coding for for you know 16 17 years now and it really changes I think it changes your like your pathways mm-hmm. like it your, the way programmers think about things is different than most people right um, and so I think that mentality um, like my my kind of like my problem the way I approach problems and my problem solving and my basic strategies around that, those things hugely helpful in this mm-hmm. business. Um, in, in all over the place in the business, like it, it, and so obviously it's a, such a multifaceted world, especially when, when you're running a startup and you're doing almost everything, um, having those problem solving skills is just absolutely huge.
0: What would you, if you could be more specific, what a programmer's brain, uh, I, I know it's a very like yeah, maple gazing uh, question, but how yeah, do you describe yeah, your own brain? <laughs> <laughs> it,
1: it, it is, it is tough to, to talk about, but there's a, there's like kind of like a systematic way you like pull a problem together into its component parts and then okay. attack each one um, right. in a very logical, uh, you know, if this, then that way. Got you. Um,
0: Rather than uh, like if they abstract.
1: Yeah, like. yeah, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It may part of it's just organizational skills. I yeah. think you know one of the things that programmers, good programmers are good at, is they're very, very organized. And and when you're juggling 150 tasks, and, uh, you know in in a couple of weeks, like that is crucial. That's yeah. super crucial. Um, some other places, I think it came out. You know, like I. Came from like an agile background, mm-hmm. A/B testing, all this stuff. So like, kind of, kind of taking things with a real agile methodology,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, doing just enough, just in time. Like um, prototyping, and stuff. yeah, prototyping, all that stuff. Like, um, you know, not never plan, planning, too far ahead, never planning too much, but like, you know, trying to to build things piecewise um, in in little little sprints. How do you how do you then reconcile that with
0: the, the pure bureaucracy of it? i mean i'm sure that must have driven you mad like, yeah how do you, how do you reconcile
1: suddenly there's five forms to fill out it's it drives you insane especially when when you have to fill them out with you know on a piece of paper and right. then mail them in you're like come on give me a break get a form together yeah. get a yeah, web yeah, yeah, form yeah. together Let's, <laughs> Run the i mean you, the, you i can't help but see the inefficiencies all over the place in bureaucracy in the food business and the in the way things work you yeah. know my yeah. our biggest uh customer um, you know, who who is our distributor that services Whole Foods, like, you know, we have to mail in our invoices. When I learned about that, I, like, I, it, I had to, like, step away for, like, 10 minutes. I was like, <laughs> I have to, I have to, I have to you, let me get this straight. I have to print these out and put them in an envelope and put a stamp on them yeah. and then send them to you and then hope they get to you. <laughs> yeah. I can't just email them to you. And they're like, nope, got to send them. And there was actually this really amazing moment where I was like, okay, well, what if I have multiple invoices from the same place? Do I have to send them in multiple envelopes? And they're like, no, 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 we're a green company. You can send them both. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Like drop in but yeah, I mean, like, how do you, over time, do you just get used to it? You or? get used to it. Yeah. yeah, you get used to it. And, you, and I mean, it's a, it's a steep, steep learning curve. You don't attempt to, like... Tell them, you yeah. know what? Let me institute this system for you. they No, they're especially guys like that. They're such behemoths. They mm. don't. You're you're such. You're nothing to them. Yeah. So like, they're not going to change anything for you. Um,
0: gotcha.
1: And, and, and you know, there are companies that are coming out of the woodwork that are trying to solve these these uh, issues mm. in a bigger way. Like you know, the category review system for. Um, for Whole Foods is, is was kind of a total mess, and you know it was a lot of weird paperwork and right. and yeah you know, everything nothing really quite worked that well. Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of just had to know who to talk to, and, and they are now trying to transition to uh, an online submission system, which right. you know it still ha- has some issues, but um, it's moving in the right direction, and I think we'll see more of that over over time. Um, but it's still like it's still in the dark ages, and obviously the bureaucracy is even more in the dark ages.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it's more like a choose your battle, kind of. Story, yeah. or you don't want to fix it. Totally.
1: Their envelope system. Yeah. Okay,
0: so I think I get an understanding then of just the madness of trying to deal with it, uh, and I wanted to move into the actual product itself because I know a lot of it is tied to your own philosophies around diet. Yeah. I read um I read about how you the, you became vegan or vegetarian how fourteen years ago,
1: right? Uh like I was twenty I was twenty when I first became vegetarian, so I was seventeen years ago now.
0: So a little background just out of your curiosity, what what made
1: you make that flip? Um not too surprisingly, a girlfriend. Okay. <laughs> Is she <laughs> so your girlfriend now? No, Is no, the- <laughs> god no. No, no, um, it has got sticking power. I know. No, I w- she she um she lured me. Uh, into vegetarianism by feeding me um, uh, what were they Morningstar vegetarian corn dogs
0: (laughs) wait okay wait Morningstar is a it's a brand brand. yeah yeah Yeah. and you really like these corn dogs
1: I thought they were well okay they're like they're corn dogs so they're like basically deep fried and they've got like some weird hot (laughs) doggy thing in the the middle middle and and, you know it's not that hard to make a a vegetarian hot dog taste like a hot dog hot dogs are already like pretty weird Uh, And then you just smother it in ketchup. So it's like, it was kind of hard to go wrong. Yeah, yeah. Uh, It was a very smart move on her part to introduce me to vegetarian food this way. Gotcha. Um, And so that just kind of opened my my mind to it a little bit. I was like, wait, if I can eat this stuff, which is basically, you know, vegan junk food, Mm -hmm. uh, I can go vegetarian. And it was important to her. And and I said, you know, it's definitely easier to Mm -hmm. be in a relationship with someone when you have the, the same dietary... Uh, sure. Preferences. sure. Um, and so I just went for it. And, you know, even after we broke up, uh, it, it basically stuck. Um, or we'll I will say I haven't been a strict vegetarian for the whole 17 years. I've, I've tried a lot of different diets and a lot of different body hacks. That's cetera. actually what yeah. I wanted
0: because I, I kind of dabble in that now. I mean, yeah. not to the extent or in the length of time, but um, was there a specific approach that you took of like, hey, this is the next diet I'm going to try, I'm trying to see how you got from there to your current yeah you now
1: well so so yeah i I don't I, I think at some point in my very early thirties, I started to realize that I was gonna have to start paying attention to what I ate gotcha. if I wanted to stay in shape gotcha. um, and so you know, about the same time I started going to the gym, uh I started thinking more about food and you know i I basically hadn't I was basically like a pizza and like. You know, fried food, eaten guy for vegetarian, vegetarian junk food, junk food <laughs> okay. for a long time. Okay. For for a good, you know, like twelve years. Yeah. And uh, you know, I started putting on a little weight, and I was like, "All right, all right." Yeah. Hold hold your horses! What's going on here? And um, part of that exploration led me into going uh raw vegan for a summer once so for three months um which is not that long but for three months i went raw vegan and um i I was a teacher at the time so i had summers off and so i just my girlfriend would go to work in the morning and i would spend all day in the kitchen yeah i would just try out recipe after recipe and like raw recipes are incredibly time consuming
0: So, so before we go on to that can you define raw vegan
1: yeah. So, so the I, the basic idea. Well, vegan. We all know. Yeah. No animal products of any kind. No yep. dairy. No yep. meat. Yep. Um, uh, the raw component is basically nothing cooked above one hundred and eighteen degrees Fahrenheit. Reason being um, that. Well, the, the basic premise is that uh, you kill a lot of the healthy enzymes and and sure. other in nutrients that when you um, mm-hmm. when you cook food. Uh, and I'm, I'm not going to talk right now about how I feel about that today, but, um, that was the basic idea. I had talked to some friends, I was living in Seattle at the time. I talked to some friends who had been doing it for a while, who, who really swore by it. Um, it was really the first time I had like gone deep into, um, like reading and researching about some kind of fringe diet and people were so into it. So I was like, all right, I'm going to try this out. So it's like a lot of sprouting food, like you, a recipe for like a typical, like pizza recipe in a raw diet. Mm. The prep time is five days. Like if you look yeah, at like, don't even, like you, you start by it? like sprouting a bunch of stuff, yeah. and then that takes three days. And after that, you have to like create like a puree it all and lay it out on something, and then dehydrate it for like two days. It's dehydrated, so it's not everything. Like it's baked. Yes. So every so this is the whole thing with the raw raw food diet is that like de, that dehydrator is like your number one kitchen utensil. Gotcha. So it was during this three months that I stumbled on coconut jerky. Ah, here we go. Okay. Raw, vegan, coconut jerky. Yeah. And I was, so I, like, was a huge jerky fan from, like, all of my childhood, all of my teens. I loved jerky. And even to the point where it's, like, even while I was vegetarian, if I, like, was out at the bar and had a few too many, and I like was feeling a little loose. Then maybe I would like sneak off and like buy, buy some beef jerky from the the, <laughs> the like Seven Eleven because it was like point? my it was my like secret little indulgence. Where
0: did you go? Off? I'm just curious. In, in California, in Oakland like trying to figure out where the jerky thing came from no I don't know
1: why I loved it so much I just remember my my dad getting it for me when I was little and I just like that's that salty savory umami all that like coming together yeah and and I've always liked when I when I eat meat I really prefer lean meats and jerky is a very lean meat so um yeah, I don't know, uh, but so so when I found this this coconut jerky recipe, I was like, I gotta I gotta make this. Yeah, it looked awesome. The pictures were amazing, so I went uh, to my like local Asian market, found some young coconuts. Um, actually, first I I tried to buy mature coconuts, not knowing that there was a difference. Yeah, uh, and yeah. tried to make it with that, and it came out terribly. And I was yeah. like, oh okay, you need to actually use these things called young coconuts. Yep. So that's when I like spent you know a full eight hours like you know. Figuring out how to open a coconut. That in and of itself was like a huge feat for me. I I was like, like how do you open a coconut? And so I finally opened it, finally scooped it, finally figured out how to put a marinade together, uh, marinated it overnight, put it in the dehydrator the next day, dehydrated it overnight, and then after all that work, you know, it's two and a half days of work now, I had a handful of coconut jerky, and you're not eating during this whole (laughs) two days. What are you eating? Oh, I I had like other other raw foods that I had been working on. Was like so I had this like two ounces of coconut jerky in my hand, and I take a bite, and I'm like, oh my god, it's gold! Oh my god, this tastes like beef jerky, but it's vegan and raw, and this is the most amazing thing. And I was so excited, Uh, and I was like, well, that was awesome. I'm never going to make that again. Oh, was wait, what? so much okay, work. It was so much work. work. I did yeah. not expect that answer. I was like, I, it, was, it was expensive. It was time consuming. Yeah. And you get, you know, I don't know if you've ever dehydrated things, but you start with so much yep. crap. Yeah. And then it turns into like a handful of food. And you're like, right. all right, so I need like 100 dehydrators to do this. Yeah. So that was when I originally made it, and I actually never made it again until what? until yeah, yeah, until I guess it would be almost six years later.
0: There was a six-year gap between six year the cash. initial
1: mm-hmm. recipe. I the best part is I still have a picture of the first um, that the first coconut cool turkey story. I ever made. Yeah.
0: So so then. You're not raw now, right? No,
1: no, no, no. So since then, I've I've tried everything, right? Gotcha. I mean, I've, I've gone back to vegan. I've relaxed that to vegetarian. I When I first moved from New York, I went way the opposite direction. And I went, like, Atkins, super paleo. Yeah. Like, super meat-heavy. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then after the, I don't know, about three years of trying out a lot of different, I got really into intermittent fasting for a while. Yeah. Um, and finally settled on... Um, where I am now, which is happy. <laughs> <laughs> well, that should be a shirt. You know what I mean? Like, what's your diet? Happy. What yeah. would you
0: describe it being closest to right now? I call
1: it veganish. Veganish. Yeah. Um. I call it. I, I'm like 95% vegan. Yeah. yeah. So,
0: so here's a ch- tangent. Oh, before I go into that, I, I, I will say that jerky was like a guilty pleasure to me. Yeah. The only. Yeah. I grew up in Saudi Arabia, and the only ones we could get from the states. Uh huh. And so my uh-huh. first flight to America. I brought two sticks of beef jerky nice and I got held at the airport for like two hours because it came on the x-ray and they were like what's this stick and they saw it was meat so they were like you know like, I told them it was meat so they held me there and then they realized like oh it's important from the states you can go through so I have like a feeling with jerky now it's like a guilty pleasure we yeah. used to have him here and yeah, yeah. took him away but Going through those many diets, yeah, if someone were to tell you you know like i 'm considering looking at my health better and and picking these diets, like are there some criteria that someone should look at when evaluating a diet, or is it literally like you just got to test it
1: out man i I, I do think you got to test it out mm-hmm. and but I think the the answer is usually much simpler than than people you know think and I, and I think at the end of the day, I mean there's a reason why our slogan for this company is just eat real food. Mm-hmm. It's really what it comes down to. Like, you know, Michael Pollan said it amazingly. Everyone always, you know, quotes him all the yes. time on, the, on this yeah, stuff. Yeah, remember that. And, and it's, it's true. Like, just eat real food and you're going to feel good. Yeah. Like, like Mostly plants. Yeah, right? mostly yeah. plants. Yeah, mostly leaves. Um, you know, and, and, like, there's, like, the first 90% of the answer to that question is really easy. Mostly eat real food, yep. uh, a lot of vegetables. And then the last 10% is the stuff that is really personal. Right, um, like you know, some people some people can go vegetarian or vegan, and their bodies are fine, and and they're for whatever reason they don't need a lot of protein, uh, and they do they do great, or or that you know vegan proteins work really well for them. Some people, uh, and I've experienced this myself, will go on a strict vegan diet, and I don't know the protein craving is real, like yeah. you can feel it. You yes. can feel it, and and it happened to me. And you know, the place I landed was I eat a good amount of eggs. Um, I eat only pasture raised eggs, but yeah. for what that's worth, I, you know, that's another conversation. No. <clears throat> and I do eat some some fish, mostly sardines, and that's just kind of that's become my my happy place for food. Was your benchmark then just like how you felt? For, I know a very for the most part, exactly. for the most part, yeah, um, it, it wasn't super data driven. I, though I would have loved to be able to do that. I don't, I don't think I was. I don't have enough time to to no, put into my own diet to make it think, super uh, data-driven. I
0: think you still got more time to, to experiment than more yes. people do. Yes, yeah, anyway. yeah, for sure. Um, so then I'm trying to see how does that fit into the inception of Cocoa Berg at the time. So at the time, could you compare what the industry looked like? And by industry, I'm just defining it as vegan Yeah health food sure and how has that changed over time yeah today?
1: i mean i think so so even looking back all the way to to when i first went vegetarian the i think the mentality of of the big vegetarian food companies like morningstar was like how do we get people who are meat eaters to stop eating as much meat and start eating our products gotcha. and one of the ways you do that is by making things taste really really good mm-hmm. and you don't think too much about the ingredients and you look at the ingredients list on those things and they're pretty gross yeah. don't get me wrong i love them i, I i'm glad those products exist and i yeah. think they're they're delicious i don't want to eat them very often i think over over the years people started to realize that that stuff wasn't making them feel very good mm-hmm. um so uh you know looking back to about three years ago when i looked at kind of the snack food landscape uh i felt like I mean, not just for vegetarian and vegan foods. I mean, the snack food landscape in general was pretty terrible. Uh, and I think we've made some strides, but, you know, generally speaking, you've got a lot of highly processed foods. And, right. and you know, this is not news to anyone. Um, it, it, it's only in the last year or two that you've started to see any real movement towards, towards you know, real food snacks. And, and unfortunately, uh, you know, it's a little dangerous to say this. I think there are a lot of brands out there that are jumping on this. Um, this real food train and still selling what I would essentially call junk food, um, but using the kind of real food moniker, which which really pisses me off, to be honest. Yeah, um, and I think there's there's still very few like snack foods I could really get behind. I mean, even uh, snacking has a negative connotation. Snacking has a very negative connotation, but you health science data isn't really there for this stuff, and like you know the research is still still very preliminary. Yeah, um, on you know the jury's out on whether or not snacking is a positive thing or negative thing. You can find articles that'll say either ones, um, regardless of what the research says, we're going to snack. Uh, uh, certainly this culture is going to keep snacking. Yep. Yep. Um, and you know, walking out in your office right now, we'd see, you know, a whole lot of snacks that are provided for the employees. Right. I mean, that, that's what, that all tech companies have this going on. Right. (laughs) Um, and, and so, you know, for me, being able to provide at least one healthy option, uh, when somebody is going to grab, go, go for a snack. I, I think that's super important. You know, one, one of our, one of our best, um, one of our highest turns, uh, places right now are, are the airports. Um, because there are so few healthy snack options at the airport. I was just having that, that airport. issue because
0: I've traveled like yeah. extensively for the past few months and I cannot get anything. It's either you get the the gross looking peanuts, mm-hmm. which at the very minimum I'm okay with, or that's it.
1: Or oh, that's it. Yeah. yeah, it's it's rough, and um, you know we're in. I think we're in eight or nine uh, airports now, and we do great because people people are like looking for that one thing that has like some pretty clean ingredients, and like right. that's it. That's your only option. And and I will say like it's particularly the folks we're working with right now. In the airports, like they they are making a concerted effort to to have healthy snack options, and I think it's really awesome. awesome. Um, and we're yeah. you know we're really you know happy to to be a part of that. Got you. So it's it's good. I mean, it, it's clear
0: that the trend seems to be moving in the right direction. But what I was interested to hear you talk about a comment you actually made in, in an interview before, where you were talking about the initial launch. Mm-hmm. Right, and how you were surprised that it didn't get as much traction as you expected. And I don't know if that's made just an error in forecasting or mm-hmm. whatnot. But one, what would you attribute that to? Uh, was it too early in the market timing? Uh, and two, if you had to do it differently, what would you have done then?
1: Um, well, at all. yeah, I, it, it's it's kind of. I, I think the 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 main thing that I've realized about uh, about a new product like this is consumer education is everything. Uh, people, okay. even even though even though I'm surrounded by people who know what coconut jerky is, the, the average American has no idea. Right? Totally hasn't heard of it. Maybe 0.01 percent now oh. of Americans maybe have heard of it. Right. So the vast, 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 vast majority of Americans have never heard of coconut jerky. Mm-hmm. They're going to pass it by on on the shelf without giving it a second look. Uh, so. Learning—it's been a very difficult uh, learning process. How to increase consumer education, how to actually uh, let people know it's out there and and draw attention to it on the shelf. And a lot of that also comes down to placement. Right? I I walked into stores um, where it's in the back aisle, on the the hanging spinny rack, under a bunch of Jack Links beef jerky, (laughs) and. And I'll go, in, I'll go in a week later, you know, You know. whatever, the stalker sees jerky, puts, puts it there, you know, I can't really blame them. Yeah. Um, I go back in a week later, it hasn't sold a single bag. There's yeah. a true story, actually, uh, a store I went to in Brooklyn uh, near my house. And so that day I went and got a grocery basket. I pulled all of our jerky off of the uh, beef jerky um, spinner. I walked over to the produce aisle. I moved some... Uh, no way. Yeah, I moved some dried, like mango or something aside, put all of our jerky up. <laughs> I went one, I went back one week later and it was all gone.
0: What? Every
1: single one of them was Can sold. you,
0: I, I'm, I don't know, I'm, I'm ignorant of the process, but can you not tell the soccer where you want it to be?
1: Uh, I mean, at, at the end of the day, you, you know, you're gonna, you, you know, we we only have like 250 stores right now, but you know, let's say we grow to two, three, four thousand in the mm-hmm. next couple of years. Like, how do you communicate with that stalker? Like, Right. you you can there are, you can hire a merchandiser whose job it is to go into all those stores and like work that. Yeah. Um, but you know even that like you need enough people out there in the field to be hitting 4000 stores. Right. Um,
0: right. I mean I think there's like jobs just to,
1: there are there are jobs of people do who do just do that. Um so but, the, you know, it's an expensive thing. I'm a tiny startup. You know, we're not making enough money to really yeah. afford something like that. So, it's a little bit of like a, a chicken and egg. Like, the smaller you are, the harder it is to get in front of your consumer. And if you, you can't get in front of your consumer, you're never going to grow.
0: Right. Well, if, if it's any consolation, the the jerky that's on the store by my house is right at eye level, top shelf. Nice. Probably two aisles into the store. Awesome. Like, right there. That's amazing. So, it wasn't hard for me to find it. Um, but now that you bring up chicken or the egg, I'll revise that second part of the question of what would you do differently then? Because you know. when you, you talk about consumer education, mm-hmm. oh, how do you educate someone if your product's not out there? but I know. Time,
1: How do you put a product out there if they don't know about it? I Man, if I could answer this question, I'd be doing it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'd say, you know, I wouldn't call these necessarily missteps, but if I could do it again, um, you know, we, we kind of, Kind of randomly ended up in Whole Foods Midwest and Whole Foods Rocky Mountain first, and even though I really, did, I thought
0: it's harder to
1: it, get into them. It, it is. It tends to be harder to get into yeah. those two regions. Um, we just, we just, those were the two we uh, applied to first, and it's a pretty complicated reason why that happened. It had a lot to do with my uh, my background in tech, and I wanted to do like this test run. It was basically going to be like a, yeah, like I, a, yeah, I wanted to like, oh, oh the Midwest. That's not going to be our region. Yeah. I'll do a test run. Uh, of applying to the Midwest where yeah. I know I'll get rejected, but at least I'll learn a lot in the process yeah. and I'll take my learnings from that and I'll apply it to trying to get into, <laughs> uh, SOPAC yeah. and Northeast. Well, we yeah. got in. <laughs> so then all of a sudden we went into holy shit production mode. Uh, yeah. We have to produce a lot of jerky right now and figure out our logistics and get everything ready by June 1st, yeah. et etc. Et Set up everything with our distributor. Like, so all that stuff was out the window. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we're like, we're tied to Whole Foods Midwest. We got it in with Rocky Mountain, had to move forward with them too. Um, and, and by had, I mean, we're really happy to be working with them, obviously. Sure. I mean, hugely, every opportunity we've gotten since then has been in some way tied to to getting into Whole Foods. Um, but uh, it did mean we didn't put our resources behind what I think will be our best regions, right? So so Southern California, Northern California, Northeast, Um, What do you mean
0: by best? Like places that would be more receptive? I think yes. I think
1: our I think our our target consumer for for 2017 is in Southern California, Northern California, and the Northeast. Um, And unfortunately, those consumers don't see our product, um, and for the most part, don't know our product exists. Mm -hmm. Uh, And because of a bunch of restructuring that Whole Foods has been going through, um, we're not going to be in those regions anytime soon. Got you. So, uh so long story short is I wish we had I wish I had chosen Whole Foods Southern California and gone hard and just been like this is the only one we're looking at. This is what I want to do. I want to do it big. Right. I want to I want to blow it up and I want to like spend like weeks at a time in in Southern California myself doing demos and yeah. teaching people and like getting in stores and all that stuff. So if I could do it again, that's what I would do. Yeah, I could
0: see the uh I could see the connect with the tech Tech yes. Now, though, yeah. Because you would not go balls to the wall with your first thing, right? right. You'd do you do some beta yes, test. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was like, "This ah, is my beta got test." Got you. It's
1: just gonna be my beta test, uh, and it wasn't even going to be my beta test for going to Whole Foods. My beta test for not getting into Whole Foods. Yeah, you actually broke it into like the
0: the most simplest component, and it just so happened that you made it through. Which is, would you say that's a freak accident?
1: I would say it was kind of a freak accident. Got you. Um, and, you know, at, at the end of the day, like, when I look at we've – been, we've been in Whole Foods Midwest now for a year. Mm. And I looked at the numbers today. And, and honestly, it, it's been a success. Like, you know, we haven't put enough money uh, and resources behind growing our business there. But it's been steady. And, and I think that's, the, that's a really important indicator, um, you know, that we see we've, – we've, our graph is, like, pretty flat. Mm. But it hasn't seen a decline. And a year later, that means that we've got real customers. It doesn't mean that these are just a bunch of people who tried it once and then never want to buy it again. They're repeat. Yeah, these are repeat. And so that means what that means to me is that if I do put the resources behind growing the number of customers, Mm -hmm. that means we're going to have those repeat customers for that amount of time, too. So the growth potential is there. The repeat customers are certainly there. We just need to, to get it in front of more, more people and get it in more hands. Right. And that takes a lot of work on the ground, demos, a lot of support on the ground, advertising, you name it. Right. Um. And, and so that, you know, and we need money to do all that stuff.
0: Okay. So this question would then set up which direction we're going to go. But if you had to say what creates those repeat customers, would you say... It's primarily the product itself, meaning the taste, the, 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 the texture, mm-hmm. uh, in other words, the quality, or is it the story behind it?
1: Uh, I would guess it's almost entirely the product itself. Okay. Yeah. So if that's the case, I'd be interested in hearing your approach to
0: the recipe testing because you said you had 60 recipes, right? Yeah. How did you go about setting the, these tests up? You know, did you have like a framework? Yeah, or something? it
1: it this is this was like also very programy. It started off super casual and informal, and mm-hmm. I just kind of I just like was like messing around mm-hmm. for the first couple, and then it became very Excel spreadsheet driven. Yeah, yeah, and so I'd like I'd basically I'd like cr- set up some some various baselines, and then I would um, I would try to create independent variables and change yeah. a few different ingredients at a time yeah. across like four or five tests and then i would i would mark them all dehydrate them all and then have a taste of each one and and mark right various qualities down about them um and then kind of iterate from there so it's super iterative um and you know some ingredients i would just rule out immediately yeah um then i'd try others and then you know did have, you basically have to set up
0: uh the, the levers you could say mm-hmm. So you had to define the levers first. Yes. And say, okay. Temperature, color, whatever, so on, so forth.
1: Some, a lot of those things, I tried to keep consistent. Like the temperature I would keep consistent. Yeah. The, um The temperature and the actual dehydration time, that stuff, uh, and marinade time, all that stuff was was super consistent. Okay. So it was, it was really focusing on um, on the ingredients themselves.
0: And what would be your your benchmark metric on the other side? Would it be? some subjective tasting when you, with friends, or was it a uh, degree of hardness? Or It was,
1: um, see, luckily, the the hardness I nailed pretty quickly. Gotcha. Um, and once I had those numbers, they just didn't alter for the rest of, of the recipe testing. So it was, I could really focus on the marinade. Um, and for the marinade, no, it was 100% subjective based on whether or not I liked it.
0: Okay. So you didn't you didn't have a lag time where you took it to customers nope. and said, try this out?
1: Nope. I, I, I got to a point where I thought I nailed it. And then that's when I gave it to people, Mm -hmm. and we basically haven't altered the recipe since.
0: So if you, because this is something that I struggle with, is I never know when my work is good enough, Mm -hmm. and I'm sure other people when they try to develop, whatever, even if it's not a food product, they they're too anxious to go test it on the market. Yeah, yeah. Is was this a deliberate choice? Uh, or would you still advise people that you know what get it in front of customers as soon as possible?
1: I think I think get it in front of I think you got to get to to some sort of baseline level of of like quality obviously mm-hmm. and then yeah get it to people and and yeah get something out there like I think it's clear I could have continued to iterate on it indefinitely right and so um, that's
0: the thing I'm trying to how do you know when enough is enough.
1: Yeah, I think I think at some point I hit some recipes that I thought were really good and then I kept messing around with them a little bit and I would like, Well, that that was good but it wasn't better. Mm-hmm. The one I did three times ago, as recipe six two five A was You <laughs> would like, for it. <laughs> that one was still it's still the best version of chili lime I've made thus far. Yeah. So uh maybe I would try a few different things, but at some point I really tasted and I was just like, I think this is it. Yeah. I think this is the one. And and I was like, well, I'm, this is just a first iteration anyways. I'll put it on Kickstarter, and then I'll get flavor feedback, and then I'll take that feedback, and I'll put it back into the recipe testing.
0: What's well, um? And I don't know if I'm, I'm going to answer this question before I even ask it, but I saw some uh, – I think you said that the most surprising feedback you got was to develop an unflavored one. Yes. Was that definitely the craziest one that you've seen?
1: Yeah, I, I think the thing – I've known about coconut jerky so for so long that it, it's been hard for me to put myself back in the shoes of someone who's never heard of it. Yeah, uh, and so uh, coming to it as as a as like a consumer who's never heard of coconut jerky, it's such a different experience for them. Um, they see, you know, I what what I remember the first few times this happened, it was actually kind of I felt I was almost annoyed. Uh, people would taste it and they'd be like, "This tastes like meat."
0: I thought that and was i the go whole point.
1: yeah and i would i would be like yeah thank you yeah <laughs> <laughs> i know it's Maybe, jerky is it because they
0: were they were in their head they were thinking more of like a fruit leather yes well the,
1: for some people and i think it's totally reasonable now that i've like reassessed it, it's totally yeah. reasonable you see the word coconut jerky the first thing you see is coconut yeah and so if you are if you're someone who loves coconut or even if you're not a lot of people are going to think oh this is going to be a coconutty. Thing. This thing, is going to taste like coconut, mm-hmm. and it's really jarring when you the first time you taste it, and it does not taste like coconut. Mm. Coconut is just the substrate; it's just the thing that it's absorbs. The it's yeah. the vehicle for the flavor, and it has the right texture. And it, it you know, with the marinades we created, it uh, it tastes like meat. And so, uh, for people who, um, re- for a lot of people who wanted it because they were interested in a coconut tasting product because they love coconut, yeah. This was, it it was either, either it was disappointing for some people or they liked it still, but it was unexpected. So, so we, you know, again, as people, as more and more consumer education happens, this becomes less of an issue, but we'd still get a lot of people saying this is great or this is fine, but I would, I was looking for something that is Mm coconutty. And so we actually did just release our first unflavored uh, product. What? Yeah. So it's it's we're still working on the the name, but it's called nothing but coconut. Oh. Uh And it's it's my favorite part about it is the ingredients list. It's got a single ingredient coconut coconut yeah uh, well young coconut <laughs> yeah oh, no. right 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 um, would you would you
0: make a sweet line like a other than savory
1: um, Or would man. that not be
0: jerky anymore that would be like fruit leather i
1: think yeah sweet so even even this stuff that we're releasing we're not calling it jerky yeah um, and we don't know yet we haven't settled yet on on what we're going to call it we what we do know is we sold out of it really fast uh, and and we we sampled it at our at the Paleo fex food show about a month ago and, and it was it was the most popular product we had, um, so it definitely has legs. Uh, we're definitely going to be pursuing it. I've got my production facility in the Philippines working on it, like as we speak. Yeah. Um, quite easier
0: to make because you have no marriage. Much
1: easier, yeah. Super easy easy to make. Um, super simple. Uh, as far as a sweet line goes, I'm I'm ambivalent. I'm actually quite conflicted. Yeah. Um, you know, part of my I'm so deep in this now this industry. That when someone tells me you should do a sweet line, Mm. my response is like, oh, yeah, we could totally blow it up. We could go, you know, you look at what Dang has been doing. And, you know, they're obviously doing amazing things with coconut chips. Mm. Um, You know, and part of that's because they've got some really delicious, sweet and savory, you know, salty and sugary options. Sure, Um, sure. And, and, you know, I'm not not here to badmouth other snack food companies, but, like, I do always come to the same conclusion that I'm – those companies can do what they want. I'm not here to put more junk food on, on the market. Like I am right. here to actually create healthy options. And I don't know, I don't know if I can, I mean, maybe I'm going to regret saying this yeah. on tape right now. And then yeah, a year yeah. from now, I've got my, yeah, go my chocolate market. bar. <laughs> but <laughs> but like, you heard I, first, I don't, I don't want, I like, personally, I don't want to put, I don't want to put something out into the world that I wouldn't want, you know, people to eat. That I wouldn't feel good about people eating, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I don't know if I'm ever gonna feel. Of course, people are always gonna eat sweet foods, but yeah. like, I don't. I just don't know if I need to be a part of that. There's plenty of sugary options out there and right. sweet options out there. Yeah, the argument's been made that even if you don't use sugar, it still creates the same metabolic
0: response. But that's a yeah, whole other. Episode. It's a whole yeah. I did not expect that actually. It's yeah, for people to say, you know what, this is so good that we're fine with it without the flavor. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: yeah, it. I mean, it, it turns out like you know coconut meat's really good for you young coconut meat's really delicious and really nutritious in a way that mature coconut meat is not and um and there aren't a lot of ways to eat young coconut meat in the united states or anywhere that doesn't have access to coconuts right one of the best ways to get a food that you know is super perishable is to try it you try it and it will last for a long time. Yeah. And so, like, it's the simplest concept out there. Right. We're taking something that we think the whole world should should be able to eat because it's super good for them and it's super delicious, and we're putting it into a, a, a state that is super flexible and super portable and has a long shelf life and doesn't need to be processed at all. And, mm. you know, it, to me, it's the best way to eat coconut meat.
0: I guess we've never – I'm – my family is spoiled because we don't have to worry about right. the refrigeration of a coconut because, hey, if this one spoils, there's a ton more growing right, here. Right. Uh, so this is a perfect segue to talk about production in the Philippines then. You're listening to Hidden Apron Radio, produced by myself, Paulo Española, and Ricky Ho. Just two ordinary guys trying to break bread and break boundaries. Thoughts, musings, ever just wanted to rant at us? Do let us know at HiddenApron at gmail.com or at Hidden underscore Apron on both Twitter and Instagram. Back to the show. For a little context, when did you start producing in the Philippines and what drove that decision?
1: So about a year and a half ago, um, I had all but ceased operations with Coco Berg. I um this was
0: the car mechanic phase.
1: This was actually this was a little bit before it, but yeah, it was it was around the same time. Uh, I I had, I had a few months before that I'd shut down our, our kitchen in Brooklyn yeah. after realizing like there, there's just zero way to make money on in this product. Sure. Uh, and I you know we'd sold out of all our stock, and I was just kind of like I was very I was like one point five feet out the door, uh, and um, yeah, you know, I'd probably work on it like a, a couple hours a week. And I was doing like these kind of like mini feasibility studies, um, which was just a lot of inter- internet research on like, and like talking to a few different vendors overseas, like how can we pull in enough coconut meat to hit the price point we need to hit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I was looking a lot into like bringing in full container loads of, of extracted coconut from Thailand um, and like looking into like what it would take to set up a manufacturing facility in the middle of the country. And at the end of the day, you know, after a month or two of this research, I put together this huge package uh, for some potential investors uh, that I presented to that had this huge plan for how to do production in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, they looked at it, we looked at it, we talked about it, and it was just like, this could potentially work five years out if, you yeah. hit, if you're moving like two million units. Yeah, but yeah, anything yeah. below that, it just still seemed like totally insane and so the answer was just so obvious it was like well what's the problem here well you're importing coconut meat you're importing coconut to a place that can't grow coconuts and you have to keep it frozen and there's all these crazy costs associated with that what if we just made it at the source of the coconuts Mm -hmm. and that was kind of like the most obvious thing in the world but at the moment in the moment we're like oh right was it actually uh, it was
0: an aha moment it was an
1: aha moment and i was like yeah we should make this in the place where it's from. Mm -hmm. And that's when uh, me and my new co-founder at the time uh, went, you know, super hard on the, okay, it's time to cold call slash cold email. Everybody in the coconut industry in this list of countries we had produced. um, And so we started with a list of like, you know, a thousand um, basically and kept whittling it down, whittling it down. Uh, Eventually reached out to three or 400 different people. Um, uh, In Thailand, Indonesia, Malaysia, Philippines, uh, Vietnam. Um, And that list, you know, we'd we'd have a lot of Skype calls, a lot of phone calls, a lot of emails. And the list kept getting whittled down to fewer and fewer people. Uh, And at some point, we were down to like maybe 10 who were all starting to seem really viable. And there was one that just stood out and um, was super stoked, uh, was clearly... Had the capacity, clearly had the, the passion, saw our vision, um, and you know, which was, was just really amazing people. That was a, a group in the Philippines who had a successful coconut sugar business, and they um, they basically wanted to. They also had an R and D kitchen. They were doing some mango products and some other things, yeah. and they wanted to. They they saw potential, and they're like, "Come on out, let's see what happens." Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. we bought tickets and flew <laughs> to the Philippines and. And three weeks later, we had our first batches of uh, Philippine-created coconut jerky. jerky. Where
0: where in the Philippines is this, by the way? So
1: our original, it's just south, it's in Southern Luzon, so it's like, um, we, our our first facility, we've actually, we had a facility in Prañaque for a while, and then we actually have a twice as big facility now in uh, San Pedro Laguna. Got you.
0: Yeah. Out of curiosity, because you know the industry better than I do, is that aha moment of, Let's produce something where the ingredients are from. It, do you feel like more companies should be having that aha moment? Cuz I do know that there's a lot of products where the ingredients are from elsewhere. Yeah. But they're still imported here. Yeah. And I wonder why it's, some people
1: haven't reached it, that point. It it you know, I I think I could say a lot of things right now that might or might not get me in trouble with the rest of the world, but yeah. I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and say them. Yeah. Uh yeah, I think there's a lot of things at play there. I I think that that this push to um, to have everything made in the U.S., uh, I, I can't say I understand it. You know, when you look at at, at world economies, the U.S. is doing pretty well. Yeah. Uh, sure, I want everyone in the U.S. to have a job who wants one. I'm not against that. Yeah. But if we have ways to to um, support the economies in other countries that aren't doing quite as well, mm. that maybe we colonized and exploited for mm. a long time, yeah, yeah. Eh, maybe we should consider doing that. And so if I can create jobs in the Philippines... Instead of the U.S., I think that's a positive thing. But it's, it's not like there's no economic benefit to the to the U.S. Totally, as well. I mean, totally, this is a yeah. Good market, absolutely. But yeah. but like when you when you look at the need, the, the the need is more in the Philippines than it is in the U.S. right now. Yeah. And and uh, the U.S. centric mentality uh, behind that is not something that I can get down with. And so made in America to me is not a, a statement that holds a lot of weight. Right.
0: But I mean, politics aside, you you made it sound like. If you built in the States, it would have, the cost would have been astronomical. Yes. And it only made economic sense to build in the Philippines.
1: True. Very true.
0: So it's, I, a, it's a win-win. Right. But so I don't know. Is it really just ideology that's preventing companies from saying, hey, the product is right there. Why don't we just?
1: No. I mean, I think it's also very, very difficult mm-hmm. starting production facility uh, in a place that you know nothing about and you have no connections There's in a lot more is really, time. really hard. Yeah. I mean, there is another thing that's going on here is like a lot of people are working with, with commoditized goods and commoditized ingredients, um, that they can buy for really cheap yeah. and have nothing to do with. Right. You know, you make, you can make coconut chips in the United States, um, with commodity coconut meat, um, man, you don't, you, you will be so many layers, you know, degrees of separation removed from the farmer, Mm. uh, that like, you know, you're, you're, you're buying commodity and it's cheap and it's super cheap and, and you're not going to like, you know, there's no, there's no sense of accountability there. There's no sense of, uh, of sustainability there. And so possibly because we were Maybe it's a lucky thing that we're working with a, a type of ingredient that doesn't that hasn't been commoditized. Young coconut meat doesn't have a commodity market, yeah. uh, and so we are kind of in a situation where we are forced to to like be closer to the farmer and closer to yeah. the product because there's you know there's so few ways of getting it. Mm, um, okay, and, that, and you know that did kind of force us to to move our operations to the Philippines. I think there's a lot of benefits to that, though. Yeah, the thought just entered my head right now.
0: Have you considered actually selling this in the Philippines?
1: Yes, yes, we have, and and we we have been talking to various people about it. Um, it's tough. It's young coconut meat is super expensive. It's more expensive than beef, uh, yeah. and and our product is expensive because of it. Um, you know, for the record, I don't make a dime, never have.
0: Wait, more expensive in the Philippines or both here and the Philippines? Here and the Philippines. Wow, yeah, more than and, beef.
1: And so, um, you know, the the price point we'd hit there would be for a really premium shopper.
0: Wait, what? How is that more it it costs so much more to grow beef?
1: Well, beef is a highly subsidized industry okay, in here in the states yeah. though, right?
0: You're not saying it's more expensive than beef in I, I don't know
1: how much beef costs in gotcha. the Philippines, but I would, I mean I mean meat is pretty cheap there. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I'm, um <laughs> the it only entered my
0: head because the first thing when I thought coconut Philippines was like an adobo flavor, adobo flavor <laughs> coconut jerky, right, right, um, and one Wh- of the which things. we've made,
1: no way, yeah, oh yeah, how do you how,
0: how do you get, how do I get my hands on that, <laughs> I man? I, I didn't I didn't love it, I didn't love it. What what is soy sauce and vinegar?
1: I uh, am yeah, well, yeah, it just didn't Put that in front something of the, about know? the vinegar didn't didn't sit right with my taste buds. But yeah. yeah, I don't know. It's it's certainly something we'd consider. Vinegar's like Here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. Yeah. I've learned from my experience with the Philippines and Filipinos. Yeah. When they want, when they're eating coconut, they want that shit to be sweet. And they're like Yes. We've we've sampled it, you know, we've sampled it at the Gatsby market. We've sold it there and people are like, "This is like good, but you guys there's no sugar in this. That's my that's a huge gripe for me
0: is because I don't know what happened, but in the recent years, Filipinos have added sugar to everything that doesn't need it. Yeah. We went to a restaurant, we had spaghetti,
1: mm-hmm. sugar. Yeah. We had oh, a savory stew. That's the Jollibee special. Yes. <laughs> we had
0: a, a savory stew that is supposed to not have sugar. I kid you not there was sugar. We got pizza yeah. condensed milk on it. Oh and my I was God. like, what I so I don't even know why. Yeah. But yeah man I feel you on the feedback on, on the sweetness for, Yeah the sweet <laughs> for the
1: they, coconut the, the coconut needs to be sweet um, so
0: regarding working with with uh, your partners and is there a name for the farm by the way I want to make sure I
1: So we the, the people we work with are, are more of a uh, like a, a facility so they don't they don't run the farms they, okay. but they work with folks who with who, the farmers Do you it's get still a few layers of separation not as many as it would be Yeah. Um, but yeah we we basically work with some folks in just I think in Santo Tomas, who have been around for like twenty years that do they've been suppliers for like the the bucco pie makers and, oh, and yeah. a lot of yeah, yeah, so um they, they've been working with buco for you know like twenty years, they have a little family business, so they've got really close relationships with all the farmers gotcha. in that in that region, and I think you know they I think they pull a lot from from Kazan. Uh, provinces as well in Batangas.
0: By the way, for the listeners, buko is young coconut. In case you were w- wondering what that was, because <laughs> I uh, did not know you knew a lot more <laughs> than I thought. Um, but has I'm curious to know if if your partners have talked about how this business has affected. Their farmers that they work with, either in terms of economic benefit I mean, or or perception. I of... think
1: I think a lot. So so you know, our our partners in the Philippines are super dedicated to, to social good. Yeah. they actually applied for a number of grants um, and and are are actually trying to form uh, their business as I think it's the equivalent of kind of like a B Corp in the Philippines. Gotcha. I don't know what it's called there. Yeah. Um. But it, I got. I'll, I'll I'll put it this way. You know, the, our our work there in this regard is still in its infancy. Um, so so it's hard to tell a, a, like a complete story about how we've affected the, the lives of this or that community there, um, but we do have a number of initiatives moving in that direction. We're kind of moving backwards, though, from like the production facility towards the farm, so the other way around, because yep. yep. that's what we have more control over. So, so though we're working with with these uh, these folks who, who do work with directly with farmers and, and are making sure that those farmers are getting paid really well, right now we're focusing on like how can we create more value added steps and jobs around those value added steps uh, for the communities there. So, like one one of the initiatives we've been working on is building what we call scooping stations. So, scooping scooping the coconut uh, out of out of the shell is like one of the main parts of this process. Sure. Right? You open a coconut, you get the water out, you scoop the meat. One of the things we've been working on is working with uh, a women's group there that is basically a group of folks who are either a little older or single or divorced or whatever and then most of them are, don't have jobs, yep. uh, they can't do farming um, and they just kind of don't know what to be doing right now and so we visited with some of them and they cannot wait to, to be able to work with something like this. Yeah. So, um Yeah, and this again, we didn't even come up with this, right? This was our our partners in the Philippines, they presented this idea to us, and we're like, This is amazing! So, we actually, when I was out there about a month and a half ago, we went and visited the women's center, and they were we met with all of them, and they were just so excited. And you know, the idea is that we create a situation, something that we can replicate over and over again throughout the provinces, yeah. And so, you build these situations where, um, not only are you providing good uh, good wages and good um, compensation for the coconut farmers you're actually providing jobs for the rest of their families as well yeah um, for the folks who aren't working on the farms um, and so and the way you do that is by leading leaving the value-added steps on the farm instead of just exporting the coconuts as commodities
0: right and, and there's a lot of good parts to that because one is that would have been a workforce that normally society would have forgotten right because I think and I didn't even consider this as the value-add steps. So I think we think of the farm. Yep. And even today, right, there's the term farmer sexual. Like, it's, it's yeah, hot. It's, it's hot. a hot yeah, thing. Yeah, totally. There's all these other steps that have to be done that someone's got to do, and we haven't really considered the this the messaging around that. Yeah. And uh, I know that for a lot of um, NPOs, uh, we've had one, the, the investment who became a rice farmer, right? Mm-hmm. One of the big things she's talked about is if you're going to help another community it has to be how do you not make it a handout right right we're right. like oh sure we'll 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 pay we'll give you like housing but you got to live in the factory yeah Here for us right, right so right. i think there's there's a lot of good parts there where and you're saying they came up with the idea mm-hmm. it's kind of like the enabler yeah to be able to get out of the way which yeah, which which
1: actually speaks to how important it is to have the right partners right like right. you want you need one of the things we realize is like once we start talking to folks overseas the, they couldn't just be producers. They had to have. They had to share the vision, but they also had to share the social vision, right? Yeah. They had to, to care about what we were doing and care about like the people they were working with, and that yeah. was like front and foremost in our in our heads when we were talking to them. And it was clear that that these folks were on board, and and that's you know could have just as easily been someone who was just you know interested in the bottom line. Um, Is but, that something that you plan on including the, in the messaging moving forward? Because I want us to be. You? I want us to be super way farther along. But, okay. yeah, I mean, I'll, I always want to talk about it. You know, I always like – I love the fact that I was able to do that, that food event yeah. um, and talk about food labor um, because it, it's a serious problem. And there's – I mean, th- it's like everything else I've done in this business. Every time I think we're, like, getting close to solving one issue, yeah. I, like, uncover three more. <laughs> so, like, I, my last trip to the Philippines, yeah. I learned about a bunch of stuff I didn't know about. And yeah. I was like, oh, these are the problems we need to solve. It's like, gotcha. it's like yeah, we need to – Definitely need to help the farmers, but there's all these other things that, like, are going on behind the scenes in the Philippines food industry yep. that needs some serious attention. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, like, more on that over the next couple of years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, know, I, you know I did not want to bring it up because
0: back, in, back at home I, I yeah. hear about them too. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I just ask because when I pick up the, the product, yeah. for me, because I know, because I've seen you talk at the event, like, I get it. But if I look at it, the only thing I know today is the little print at the
1: bottom. So it says "Product of the Philippines,", Philippines right? yeah. But
0: I know in those three words, there's so there's
1: much. So in. much. Yeah. So well, there, there's one por- portion that that I, I feel comfortable talking about, and it's that the one. I think I talked about this a little bit at that event, but the you know the average age of the of the farmer in the Philippines is going up and up and up, and there aren't a lot of people out there to take same over here. their jobs. Yeah, same yeah. here. Um, so that's one thing that needs a lot of attention. The other thing that needs a lot of attention, I talked about this at that same talk, is that you know, th- it's estimated that a third of the uh, Philippines economy is in some way based on the coconut. Third. That's big. The average age of the coconut tree in the Philippines is now getting to the point where productivity of the tree themselves, meaning the number of nuts they produce a year, is going to start to decline steeply over the next 20 years. There needs to be, and this is something they're already doing in Thailand, but there's there's not much of a program for it in the Philippines, there needs to be a massive replanting of coconut trees over the next 20 years, or that entire economy is going to be in trouble.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think, and this is like a side note, um, I'll probably include a link just so people can get what I'm talking about, but there's also a, a political connotation behind the coconut the whole dictatorship back in the Philippines, so I don't know if you know people kind of just don't want to talk about the coconut I don't know oh yeah,
1: I mean there's the agricultural reform right. stuff that happens exactly. and like yeah exactly. it's it's a very loaded
0: but I, I the the reason I bring up the the story and the messaging is because I think that problem that you saw in the Philippines is not exclusive right it's it's how the perception around farming right it looks sexy to the people not doing it right but if you ask anyone, okay, would you become a farmer? Right. I was like, Yo, there's too many barriers. So I think, I think that's some um, future episode where I probably will have to recontact every farmer that I've had. <laughs> <to show>. Maybe <laughs> someone do a roundtable. How do you, yeah, change that? Okay, we talked about the six-year gap between when you first started. Now you're here, and now you're assessing all this. What does, if you can answer
1: this, what's the end game look like? That has become more of a mystery to me as time has gone on. Yeah, not less. I okay. Feel like what was
0: it? What What did the end game like? Uh, I think or... when I
1: first started, I was. I think I mentioned this. I, I thought, okay, I'm going to like flip this company in like two years. Yeah, I'll okay. come out of Got it you. with a few million bucks and a successful company under my belt, and who knows what will happen next. Yeah, uh, that feels much more f- far off at this point and unclear if it's even what I want as the end goal. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I I feel very. I, I feel like we're in a really crucial time. The next twelve months, we gotta we gotta be able to get the the momentum we need to like grow it like five or ten x. Yeah. Uh, and if and when that happens, I think I'll I'll have to really start thinking again about what the end game looks like. Yeah. But at this point, like I don't even want. I, it's like I don't even want to think about it because I want to just make sure we get to the next level.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, that's a question that surprising, not surprising. Now that I think about it, a lot of people don't know. Yeah. Which I think it's something that I would still ask anyway to show people not everyone's got this figured yeah, out. Yeah. Know, everyone looks like they do. But in that case, my last question then is the process itself. How do you keep this all together? Are there
1: you know, one to three tactical things that you do to stay sane? Yeah. You balance it all out. Yeah. I am. Um, I am a total slave to my tools. Uh, in And so like my calendar runs my day
0: what calendar google calendar yep okay. google
1: calendar runs my day um i use uh, asana for tasks okay and i use slack with my team and those things are all like super important to me uh inbox zero every day i uh, just got to that last yeah. week i'm so happy and, and you know it's like my my email i mean my email is my first task list right okay. and so i open that up in the morning and like i get through the First thirty emails in the first thirty minutes, and and then you know I try to keep like that inbox is like it basically runs. Okay, me.
0: so it's a morning routine thing.
1: Morning routine, um, but at at night. Yeah, yeah. You at, do the same at night. I think? tend to. Yeah, I mean I I'm, I probably am cl- tied to it more than I'd like to be. Cool. Yeah. Cool.
0: How about for you? How do you? What's your your step
1: away? Is um, it biking? Is it? I mean, I I'm, I I do. I think now that I'm three years in, I I've allowed myself a little more space from the business. Okay. So um, I really value the times that I like turn it off and and like I will sometimes go an entire weekend without looking at my email. What what happens during turning it off? Uh, hanging out with friends, cooking, biking, going out of town. You name it. Yeah, gotcha. a lot of hanging out.
0: Okay, see, I, I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting a crazy answer. Like, you know what? I'm learning how to uh, uh, dismantle guns this weekend. <laughs> something no, random. I,
1: I, I definitely, I'm definitely savoring a lot more just relaxed time just re- these okay. times. I've been playing a lot of pool lately. Pool? Yeah. Like billiards? Yeah, like billiards. Ah,
0: see, I knew there was something there. <laughs>
1: okay, so um, I
0: will close out with the rapid fire section. Sure. Basically, I stole this from another podcast. It's a series of questions I've asked everyone on the show. The questions are short. You can answer them short if you'd like, but if you feel like you got a story to tell and want to go longer, all right, so be it. Bring it. Uh, first question: Person who most influenced
1: you from a from an entrepreneurial standpoint. Why? I. It's funny. I'm, I've like I never. I didn't realize I was an entrepreneur until like two years in. So you <laughs> realize you had a company. One. <laughs> so I'm like the worst person to ask that question too. I didn't really. I don't have one. Okay. I like. I've never. I've never read any of the books I'm supposed to read. I don't know any of the people. I know who Tim Ferriss is. Yeah. I've like listened to his podcast once that's or twice. That's where I stole this. Yeah, film. yeah. i like, but like, I'm like, I live with. I have a friend who, um, who I live with, who uh, runs his own business, and he's the opposite. Like, he is like the entrepreneur's entrepreneur. Okay.
0: You know what? Now, I how did I reflect on that? that's probably a bad question because you were in tech for so long. But if how about tech? One person that you hmm. regularly read, or you're like, huh, you know, this is an interesting <laughs> guy to follow.
1: It's funny; it's kind of the same answer. Wow. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm I guess I'm just my own guy. That's the, <laughs> you're the first. And yeah. I'm um, not, I've just never been that impressed with entrepreneurs, yeah. including myself. I don't like. I don't put. Don't I don't put it on a. Them. I do, but I don't put it on any sort of pedestal. And I'm not that interested. Like, yeah. I'm sure I should be. I should be more interested in what they have to say. But I just yeah. kind of don't care. Because it's, it's either why you're so busy or it's like, this is yeah. the current well, project. I'm, like, I'm this is how I'm going to do it. And like, I think I'm doing it pretty well. And like, nice. I, I'm sure, like, I do learn from other people a lot. Yeah. Uh, and it like filters its way into me yeah, yeah. in whatever ways, but I don't pursue it.
0: Gotcha. I'm going to split this into two. Uh, one, best cooking tool you've ever purchased. Two, best productivity tool or like a like tech-based tool that's helped you with your business. That You purchased
1: best cooking tool I've ever purchased. Yes. I mean, I want to say the dehydrator because it started this business, but yep. um, it's I I I'm pretty simple, you know. I I'm very into soup, okay, and so like probably my favorite thing is just just a, a nice saucepan or like a okay. a pot. Yeah, that's man, like it's all super basics. simple, man. Yeah, yeah, I got you. I'm a I'm a, I'm a simple chef. That's nice. Okay, <laughs> how about a tech-based
0: like a like a tool that to helped you with your business?
1: Mm. Um. I've I have found Asana to be super, super useful. Did you did you pay no. for like an upgrade one? No. Has there been something that you paid for? Uh I mean we pay for, for like Google apps, but Okay. Yeah. I mean I I, I, I love okay, so I, I am a huge proponent of, of Google Drive and, and Google gotcha. Docs and Google Sheets and like the ability to collaborate live and collaborate on documents and have most importantly, have one version of a document. Yep, is huge. I worked at orgs that like passed Excel files back and forth. Oh and like, man, trust dude, me, dude, it's... it's such a nightmare. Like every okay. anytime someone does that, I just go, nope, nope, put it in the drive. Get a version of it in the drive, or, and that's or the it's one like, we use. They're
0: passing uh, Excel files without a consistent naming convention. Yeah. It drives me. Yeah, nuts. yeah, yeah. I bring up purchasing because everyone has access to the free stuff. Yeah. But purchasing it means you've actually you've bought actually, about it. And yeah. There's a commitment factor.
1: I would if if Asana tomorrow was like, all right, you gotta start paying fifty bucks a month. You would I would definitely keep Got it. You. Uh probably the same with Slack. Okay. If if I had to pay for it, I would keep both of those. Um and yeah, okay. and obviously we pay for Google Drive. Cool. Yeah. Three ingredients to describe you. Food
0: ingredients. And oh. I, I'm I'm debating just saying you cannot say coconut. you're
1: ready for a So okay, here's the secret. I don't like coconut very much. Interesting. Yeah. But making it into jerky. I love, yeah, because I, 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 people come up to me sometimes at food shows, and they go, what is this? And I'm like, coconut jerky. And they're like, oh, I don't like coconut. And I go, no, me neither. Oh, that is the story. <laughs> um, okay, so three ingredients. <laughs> three ingredients. Um, all right, the first one's easy, hot sauce. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, that, but they have to describe me. I guess hot sauce still kind of describes me. Any any particular brand that you like? <sighs> I'm. I mean, I'm kind of. like All over. I'm all over the place. Be. I'm. I. I'm, I have. Right now on the shelf, I've probably got six, which is like Ooh. pretty normal. Okay. Um. And it's hard to. It's hard to describe myself as a piece of food, to be honest. <laughs> Would never heard someone <laughs> phrase the question like that. to <laughs> think this, but okay. Hot sauce. Three ingredients. Morning start. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can I say? Can I say jerky and not coconut? Yeah, 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 for sure. All right, jerky, hot sauce, jerky. (sighs) Um, Yeah, we'll just leave it at two, I guess. Okay. Hot sauce and jerky. Really spicy jerky. I got you. Okay. I do love spicy jerky. Nice.
0: One book, documentary, or basically any resource that if you had to tell the common person you need to read, watch, listen to this, whatever. To enrich
1: your life, what would it be? So, kind of going back to the, the me not having many like uh, you know people I were I looked up to as yep, yep, entrepreneurs. Yep, yep. I I kind of feel similarly to documentaries and books. I haven't read much of them. Uh, I'll recommend something else that is is like what I like to call vegan propaganda. Okay. Um, there's a lot of good ones out there, and I think this one's a little more palatable than than others um yeah. even though I think they're all pretty good yeah. uh, I, I'd say go watch Cowspiracy
0: Cowspiracy that's Cowspiracy. on Netflix right I,
1: It is I okay. believe it's on Netflix um and you know I think a lot of people a lot of people still don't really know what's going on in the meat industry yeah. and it's it's pretty messed up I think it's because people it's gotten to the point where people shut off it's like an either oh, or yeah. argument Oh yeah Oh yeah when there's
0: different ways to attack this issue right and
1: i don't i don't engage too much in my life anymore with with this question and i kind of i'm you know i know it's such a difficult question for most people that i don't i don't but i i have been telling people to you know go watch it on your own time and you decide what what you want to decide it's not me talking to you it's somebody else
0: yeah 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 and i mean even for me i've i actually apprenticed for a vegan chef and it's you realize it's it, there's not just one argument it's not just if, if the morality thing doesn't suit you like yeah. for me it didn't yeah. the environmental thing connected so
1: I mean that that's the biggest part yeah. to me at this yeah. point I mean I think there's the the data is very strong right. forget the morality forget any of the other parts the climate change piece is yeah, huge yeah, yeah. it's sure. huge for sure I think that's the only thing I mean, that if, actually
0: got me to cut down
1: if we if we all went vegan tomorrow climate change would be a thing in the past <laughs> I mean yeah. it actually would be it's we like got this Paris we, thing going. yeah
0: if you had to reprint your packaging, you had to put one line, and that one line was supposed to distill the story of cocoa Bird. Wow. What would that one line be?
1: Huh.
0: If it's the line that's there today, "Eat real food," fine. Yeah. But if you had to reprint this now to describe just what you're trying to do, it's not just just the product itself, right? It's what
1: it, what what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. What would it be? I mean, it's hard. It, it's hard for me to to. Think of anything else? I mean, just eat real food still speaks okay. really strongly to me. Yeah. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't encompass the whole mission, obviously. Yeah. And and I think I would I would need to think a lot more about it to come up with something that that yeah, added I mean, that eighty twenty right? Yeah. It yeah. encompasses a majority it, it, of the.
0: Yeah. Uh, last one is a very logistical question. Where can people follow the story today?
1: Um. Well, coconutjerky.net is a good spot. Okay. Uh, our Instagram is fun what's uh, the Instagram? It, coconut underscore jerky. Okay. Uh,
0: Facebook? Coconut uh, jerky.
1: Anywhere yeah. Anywhere else? Anywhere else? Um, we have a Twitter that we're starting to ramp up a little more, okay. and we do have a blog, um, and okay. we're just getting content going on it a little is more. Is the
0: blog coconutjerky.net?
1: It is blog.coconutjerky.net. Okay, yeah. so it's linked inside it's of there. It's linked inside of there, yeah, and it can all also be found by coconut, com.
0: I will... Uh, Include those in the show notes. Sweet. Any parting thoughts?
1: Um, did I say just eat real food?
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I got you, man. I got you. Yes, you did. Well, anyway, uh, I'm glad we finally got this to work. Yeah. Thanks for having um, me, man. This has been great. And I, and I, I rarely attend that event. It's only if I, I'm interested in something. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I think I read it like, oh, coconut jerky. I was like, yeah, this will be interesting. But the minute you said the, the pictures of farm came up, I was like. i was just so pumped to get it on that's Um, so awesome and the product tastes great i can speak from experience so again thank you sir thank you (laughs)